Grab a cold one and listen to the Red, White, and Brews podcast. Be a man. What's up, everybody? This episode is going to be a little bit of a bonus episode, so it's just me um, today, and I'm doing an interview with a gentleman named Doug who owns Sunrise Ranch out in um, Oceanside, California. Um, it's a bit of a shorter episode, but again, it's just a kind of mini content. Um, Doug is the rancher that I bought the meat off of that I've um, shared on the show. So um, if you have questions, um, hopefully they get answered. And um, if you're interested in buying some meat direct from um, a legit cattle operation that's grass-fed from start to finish, um, going into what some are calling a major food shortage this summer, um, we'll post the Sunrise Ranch info in the um, in the description of the episode and on our social media. That way you guys can follow along kind of see what he's got going and if... Um, He's got tons of options with meat and all that good stuff, but um, I'll let him tell the story. Um, again, this is just a short episode, mini content. It's just me. The guys will be back on Thursday with uh, Nicole Strickland, um, and we'll be interviewing her and her experience as a uh, paranormal investigator. So I hope you guys enjoy. Hit us up on social media and uh, reach out to Sunrise Ranch if you guys are interested in um, some grass-fed beef. Um, today on the show, we have Doug the owner and um, head honcho over at Sunrise Ranch. And uh, he's been gracious enough to take some time out of his busy schedule to uh, answer some questions and kind of talk about what it's like to um, have a legit ranch and, and not some, uh, well, I'll let him explain it because he's the rancher and I'm uh, I'm just learning about a lot of the techni- um, technical terms and the difference between grass-fed and grass-finished and grain and all that stuff, but I'll let Doug take it from here. Um, tell us a little bit about your ranch and kind of the operation you guys got going on. Well, uh, Nick, we've got uh, we've got a grass fed, grass finished cattle company. That was uh, that was kind of the new buzzword ten years ago. It's it's no longer very uh, significant in terms of, of what what people know. I mean, like I mentioned uh, previously, uh, if we were to mention that just in the past people would go a grass fed what they're not even really sure about that but collective knowledge across the board has come up quite a bit now and so people do understand what we do um grass fed grass finished beef is is exactly what it sounds like the cows don't eat any grain or corn um they just simply eat grass and that's really what they're designed to do they're a unique animal uh they're called a ruminant they have a multi-stomach uh they're a multi-stomach animal with uh, multiple stomach chambers and that allows them to digest fibrous grass, which we can't, and they can turn that into milk, meat, and hide, which is a usable product for for humans in, in many different ways. So it's the perfect ecosystem balancer. It's the missing link, if you will, between, well, how do we get from sunlight and water to a human in terms of nutrition? And the way we do that is is through uh, through cattle. Wow. Um, what, and then we were talking about this before we went, um, before we hit the record button, but 
is there a lot of misconception and um, kind of, uh, I would say, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of deceitfulness when it comes to um, certain cattle companies and their and the way they say grass finished or or things like that. Is there a lot of fudging when it comes to people's claims and um, is it regulated as far as like we talked about vitamins and if you look on the back of a vitamin bottle when it says proprietary blend that basically just means this is all our opinion basically and, and the ingredients even that we put in here are what we think we put in here it's not the fda is not approved that is it similar in the cattle industry with people um and the claims they have for like grass-fed and, and grass-finished and, and all that stuff well, I think, I, you know, Nick, this is just like anything else, right? There's a spectrum of, of folks who didn't mean to stop at the stop sign or just weren't paying attention. And then people are like, nah, I just don't stop at stop signs. <laughs> you know, I mean, if we were talking about Bill Gates I would, I, or some sort of fake meat kind of deal, I'd go, no, nah, dude's just like out to make a buck and he doesn't really care who he runs over and how many stomachs he poisons along the way. Yeah. I think with the grass-fed world, there's folks who have said, hey, there's a few bucks over there. Let's let's do that grass-fed thing without really having any knowledge about it. And mm. they slap the grass-fed label on, and there's no uh, consideration at all uh, for the ecosystem that they're using and and the way that they're you know treating the grasslands and that sort of thing. We The thing we have to understand is that in order to grow grass-fed beef, you don't just grow grass-fed beef. You grow grass. And if you don't grow grass, you deplete your, your resource base. And... Um, that might take a generation or two and, and then there's nothing left. It's like withdrawing all the money in your account and not living on the interest. You just live off the principal. And I gave an analogy where I, I said, well, you know, if we give Nick a million dollars and we tell him to live off the, the principal or pardon me, the interest on that. And he just goes out and buys a Ferrari the next day. He's going to look fine for a week or two year, maybe, I don't know, five years. Uh, everybody's just going to go, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's Nick. He's got all the money in the world. But one day the account is empty. Whereas if we take somebody responsible and they say, no, I want to live off the interest and we'll leave the million for my next generation. That's a different story entirely. And that's where regenerative agriculture comes in. We after, Soon after becoming grass-fed farmers, we realized, uh, grass-fed beef producers, we realized, oh, hold on a second. If we don't take care of the grasslands, if we don't restore ecosystems, manage and balance our water and nutrient cycling, these grasslands will be depleted and we won't be able to grow anything. Yeah. So as I said, um, our focus is not on growing cattle. If I do that, I could easily deplete my resource base, so to speak, and withdraw all the money from my principal account. Our focus is on growing grass and regenerating and restoring ecosystems. And, and of course, that then leaves a grass-fed cattle company for my next generation and generations after that. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. And, and the funny argument with... Um... You know, when you talk to people from like the vegan community um, or cult or whatever <laughs> you want to name it, um, their argument is, you know, eating meat's bad for the environment. And they have a lot of this generic things they throw out. And then you look at, you know, soy growth and monocropping and how that's devastating to the land. And it basically poisons the land to where it's not useful anymore. Is that that's pretty is that an accurate kind of assessment monocropping? when it comes to growing like, yeah. corn or something well, like habitually. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'm, one of my favorite things is to grab people and bring them to the ranch and say, okay, show me the monocrop. You know, we're, here we are. So show me just the monocrop. I mean, there's, there's thousands of species of grass um, out here right now growing, wow. uh, not to mention the ones that are still stuck in the seed bed that once we were start to uh, manage cattle per 
productively and correctly, that those that are available to grow that haven't been, they've been dormant for a hundred years because we mismanaged everything. The whole ecosystem was out of balance and that seed, that particular variety of grass wasn't allowed to grow. And so when, when we talk about monocrops, the only thing that creates a monocrop, the only thing that creates a monocrop is a human. That's it. You know, whether it's your yard or uh, 40,000 acres of wheat. Um, and so it, to say, oh, no, I, I want nothing but soybeans uh, so I can have my soy thing so that I can, um, you know, feel good about myself and, and what have you at night. And when it, in reality, you've, you've destroyed an entire ecosystem. There's, there's for example, there's a, there's a fungus called mycorrhizal fungi, which is a subsurface communication network that exchanges nutrients between different types of plants. So a dandelion talks to a, a, a piece of switchgrass. And, and they don't use the same nutrients. And so what happens is the mycorrhizal fungi is an exchange network, and it, and it does exactly what an exchange does at an airport. It takes the, the yen and it gives you dollars, or it takes mm. the dollars and gives you, you know, um, euros. And, and so these plants are communicating and exchanging uh, nutrients subsurface underground. We can't see it. It's a network that's only discoverable, uh, only visible by an electron scanning microscope. It was discovered in about 96 by a couple of USDA scientists. Wow. And we found out this network is entirely connected. And when we plow the ground up, we sever the network. And so it can't do that. It can't do the exchange thing. In addition to that, here's the, here's the worst part. We take the entire plowed up ground area, plant a single crop that has no need to communicate with anything else and couldn't if it wanted to, because every time a, a different quote unquote weed gets in there, we pull that out. Yeah. And so this entire thing shuts down. And so all the bugs shut down and all the, all the, uh, subsurface, uh, funguses and, 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 uh, nematodes and everything all shuts down. And so you have this entirely dead and decaying and dying uh, mass with only one plant surviving. And then we make sure that we spray on top of all that. So <laughs> your chemical load, your, your parasite load, everything is just through the roof. And we call that agriculture. Why do you think there's such a push for, I mean, it seems like now in our culture, there seems like a huge push for, for vegan and plant-based diet. And there's a lot of science behind even aside from the agriculture aspect of it, that, eating a diet based off of soy and plants is, is very detrimental to your health in the long run. And it seems like the media and, and people and celebrities are pushing for that. And you have Bill Gates and the whole fake meat thing he's pushing. And, and I don't understand because I've been a meat eater my whole life. And I don't, you look at it from the perspective of just someone who's not a farmer and you look at Bill Gates and you're like, I know he's probably trying to make money, but why is he pushing the fake meat thing? And why are people, so um so passionate about this movement and then they refuse to educate themselves on monocropping when their big argument for eating vegan is to save the environment and then you look at the deeper aspect of what a vegan diet comes from and and the retributions of the land and you're just murdering the soil and it makes it it renders it useless and like you said it kills the ecosystem is there do you see a reason that our culture kind of has shifted towards that kind of aspect. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's probably multifaceted. We always like to boil things down to one simple solution. And I think there's probably multiple solutions to this. You know, we're, we're, 
we are triune in nature. We have a soul, a spirit, and a body. And so I think there's an aspect to each of this that that reaches all three of those components. You know, with with for example the 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 soul, which is your mind and your emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole hubris versus humility sort of a um, debate that goes on in our lives, and and, and, and it always. Uh, boils down to that, at least for me, it does. I, I say, okay, I can either figure this out with my brain, or I can trust the fact that there's probably a whole lot more complexity to this than I can than I can say uh, than I can spit out in a 14 word sentence, right? Yeah. You know, it's 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 the constant struggle of, hey, I've got a brain and opposing thumbs, so I must know everything. <laughs> well, in fact, uh, no. I, I mean, look at look at the entirety of human history. Um, show me vegans. Yeah. Right. I mean, this this is a modern this is a modern uh, phenomenon, and 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 so you, you look at it from that perspective. There's there's a there's an ironclad uh, structure that connects us to nature. Period. Like it or not, mm-hmm. you know, you've got these drives in you, and you, there there are things you just cannot uh, disobey or or uh, disallow. Well, and that's been my argument as of recently because I've been doing a lot of um, reading on animal based dieting and ancestral dieting and one of the arguments um people that are proponents for like the carnivore diet and um ancestral living is that you know you look at throughout history our ancestors regardless of what area of the globe they came from one thing that was always available was meat and when you came to areas where oh you know this tribe was uh, they're all vegetarian and it's like well crops don't grow year-round that's a thing that we've created to where you can grow right. things in the off season. That's that's not a thing that people did thousands of years ago. That's something that is a modern day science experiment where the nutrients are already gone. Usually by the time they get to the store and you bite into an apple that's been sitting, you know, God knows where. And so that's a big argument is, you know, there were seasons where fruit and vegetables were plentiful, but at the end of the day, hunter and gatherer, there was always meat available if you were a skilled hunter. And that was one thing that kind of getting back to our roots is something I've been doing as far as my diet and um, cutting out all processed food. And um, I don't know, we talked about this before we went on air, but I was having stomach issues for years and I kept going, man, I wonder what's going on. And then I changed my diet um, and probably within a week, my stomach issues went away. I started losing weight. a bunch of my health issues that I had kind of started dwindling down and I see people now and they're like, Oh my, I'm lactose intolerant or I'm this, I'm that I'm gluten. And I'm like, well, you're eating all processed food. You're eating all things that came from a lab. Why don't you try eating meat? No, I don't like red meat. And it's like, well, you can, there's a thousand different ways to cook red meat. It doesn't have to be a T-bone steak that's cooked rare. You know, you can get creative with it, but when you're eating stuff out of a box that's been processed in a factory and then people complain about the effects it has on their health and then they refuse to change it, I get frustrated because the majority of my diet is red meat and people go, that's not healthy. And I'm like, well, you know, I've, I feel the greatest I've ever felt right now, only eating pretty much yeah. red meat and animal products and people that are obese and they're, they like put me down or they try to, and they're like, that's not healthy. And you look at them and you're like, well, look at you. You're eating Cheetos and a soda, and you're preaching to me about what's healthy and that I'm going to have, you know, heart disease and all this stuff, which is a, a modern thing that we've kind of, there's been a lot more research looking into some of the statements 
uh, from the health industry that a lot of that stuff is not actually accurate, that red meat leads to heart disease and, and kidney failure. And, and a lot of the claims that we've heard for years regarding a red meat diet, um, there's actually not a whole lot of facts that back that up. So it's interesting. Um, I wouldn't, it sounds kind of corny, but red meat's changed my life. It's one of my passions of how to cook it and where it comes from and things like that. And, um, it's changed my health. I've had the most energy I've had in years and, um, I've eaten red meat. We're talking for the past 70 days. I've lost 32 pounds, you know, and I feel, wow, that's a huge, yeah, I feel amazing. And, you know, I don't have lower back pains gone. Um, I don't have headaches too much anymore. I'm drinking a lot of water and, um, exercising when I can. Um, I just had a jujitsu this morning and, um, I run around with my kids pretty often. So it's, I'm not in the CrossFit gym going crazy. It's a lot of that's just my diet. And, um, right. People yeah. are quick to say that's not healthy. And it's like, well, look at what 80% of America is like overweight. And, yeah, exactly. and then they complain to you and it's like, you're, it's bad for the environment. It's this and that. And one of the things, and I'm sure you and I can talk hours about this is the lack of education when someone talks to you about something. And it's like, I've read books on this. I've studied it. I've listened to podcasts. Like I, I've educated myself on my diet, what I put in my body. You have not, but you're preaching to me about the environment and how it's not healthy for my body. But then, and I can go on and on, but that's my, that's my, uh, soapbox there is you know it's changed my life it's it's gave me energy and like a new lease on life I think because my health I mean every time I ate something I felt like I was gonna throw up I felt sick and then I switched it and right. I became cognizant of what I was putting in my body started researching animal-based dieting and it's changed I don't have stomach issues anymore I don't I'm not in public like worrying about when the restroom is because that was a reality for me at one point in my life and now it's like man I feel amazing all the time yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, that's just going back to the basics, you know, I mean, um, like I said, we can, we can either try to figure it out or we can go with the flow. We have a sort of a, a number of concepts that we use on the ranches when we talk about regenerative agriculture and how we do ranching. And one of them is to go with nature instead of go against nature. Yeah. And I think you see that. I mean, if you look at, you go, well, gee, I mean, let's figure out what got us here. You know, folks have been eating this stuff for a lot longer than I've been around and Mm -hmm. they seem to be doing okay. And yet, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I used to roam around the farmer's markets and and we would sell our beef at local farmer's markets there in LA, San Diego and Orange County, we do all that on the on a website now, but, but in those old days, I used to spend a lot of time just talking to folks. It was one of my favorite pastimes. That's how I'd pass a lot of time at the market. Yeah. And I just have deep conversations with people about food. It's one of the things that we can all have in common. Um, yeah, we all true. eat. And so it provides a great kind of springboard to just get to know people and to talk to them and, and see where they're at in their food journey. But yeah. if, I used to ask folks all the time, it's, you know, I'd get somebody that was perhaps maybe a little older than me. And, and, and I mean, you know, sixties or seventies or something like that. And, um, they'd be, you know, a great conversationalist. I'd say, Hey, when you were in high school, when you were in grade school, um, how many kids had autoimmune disease how many kids had child onset diabetes how many kids had autism how many kids had um you know health issues irritable bowel syndrome how many kids had xyz and they'd say none None. yeah none and i'd go really what do you think changed and i said man it's agriculture it's agriculture because it's all about what we're putting in our bodies i mean we're focusing 
I, I assume you watched the news recently. There's been huge, uh, uh, you know, there's big shooting in Texas. Yep. And and I, I and I'm not willing to say that there's one answer for anything, but I wonder how much is contributing to that. I mean, if you felt bad and you're, you know, running around average kind of guy with kids and all the pressures of life. Can you imagine what a teenager's going through who's living on Twinkies? Well, and that's a... And what's happening in their minds and how their body's reacting to that. And the dopamine receptors. I mean, there's there's a lot of science that, you know, what we put in our bodies affects the chemical balance of our head. And you're exactly right. right. You know, there's even um, people that go on animal-based diets have gotten rid of depression because it's a dopamine response when you eat certain foods and it's, and not only is it healthy for your body and your body absorbs meat way differently than it does grain. But when you eat correct and you know, you get back to the basics, like you were explaining, it affects your mental health in a big way. You're right. If you eat Twinkies and Gatorade and soda for six days a week, and then you start looking at your life and man, this sucks. I'm in a rut and you don't feel good about yourself and your confidence dips down. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into what we eat. And it's one of the last things I think people target or change when they have health issues. Everyone's so quick to go to the doctor and ask for medicine. And it's like, why don't you change the way you eat? Why don't you look at what you're putting into your body and see if that has any value into how you're feeling? And 90% of the time it does, you know? Yeah, it's it's a huge factor. And I don't think we give it nearly enough credit. Um, well, yeah, even how it actually affects us. During the again, I'm not willing to say it's it's the cure all to every every one of our ails. It's I mean, a good plenty, start, though. We have plenty of problems in society. Even during the but pandemic, I would, I would, you I would know, wonder if we're actually doing a good job of even addressing it. I don't think there's enough people that address it. You know, you have the people in our government who are in charge of health and all that. What they did during the pandemic was push a vaccine. Nobody said, "Hey." If you have a yard, go out and exercise and change your diet because this thing's attacking people that are obese. It, it was never a health issue. It was always get this vaccination or whatever, and whatever your view is on that. But it was one of those things like, why don't we target our health? Because obese people are dying from this. Nobody ever came out and said, hey, change your diet, exercise, watch what you put in your body. Because if you're obese, it's that's what's hitting people the most. So it's ironic. you know, People are always... Um, preaching medicine, you see every commercial break, there's a commercial for medicine that basically the side effects destroy your body. And it's like, if you were to just change your diet, your cholesterol would go down, your mental health would increase. Um, you know, you could lose unhealthy weight that you've put on and there's all these things, but there's a pill for everything that has side effects. And then there's a pill for those side effects and people are quick to jump to that. And it's like, Nobody's ever preached, hey, change your diet, you know, maybe introduce. It's a ready. vicious cycle. Yeah, it is. And then I think, you know, at some point, you almost do too much damage to your body to where, not saying that it's too far gone, but there's probably some people who have damaged their body so much that it's like, well, what are you going to do now? You know, you, you look at people in Costco that are 600 pounds and they're just in a motorized wheelchair. And it's sad, but that didn't happen overnight. You know, and you look yeah, at these exactly. people and it's exactly. and it's it's sad that food can be it can change your life, but people just use it as a form of entertainment and um I think that's that's a big um people are missing out, you know, on life because of this what they put in their body. Um, yeah, absolutely. What about so we talked to and, and um we got a couple more minutes here, but 
um, global food shortage. What do you think? What are your thoughts on? Um, I, last time I read, uh, people were saying August is going to be um, a food shortage, and we're going to kind of enter a dark period when it comes to food on the shelf. Do you think that that's uh, a reality coming up that we might face? Well, I can't predict the future. Uh, I certainly <laughs> wouldn't be a rancher if I could. <laughs> Probably be doing something else, like yeah. stocks or something, right? Uh, but my point is that um, I, I don't know that we we uh, can necessarily uh, take a stab at what's going to happen. I think what we can do is build resilient systems. And by that, I mean, look at where you're sourcing your food from. Is it is it somebody you know, or is it a nameless face at a grocery store? Do you shop at a farmer's market and know the guy that picks your apples and pears? And for folks down in California, you know, your oranges and that sort of thing. Do you know who your meat supplier is? Do you know who raises your eggs? Or do you have a few hens and you just get eggs yourself? So, I mean, I think I think it's pretty evident at this point that we're going to see climbing prices and shortening supply. How severe will it get? I don't really know, but we know that we're linked with people that we have 13-year, 10-year, 14-year relationships with. I, I think we would be as reluctant to stop feeding them as we would be our own families now. I mean, yeah. we, we go back for quite a ways. Um, I, during the first part of the pandemic, uh, a lot of things were shutting down. We had we were just flooded with with orders and, and requests. I mean, we'd have people that just literally got on the website and would buy everything we had in stock. Wow! And we had to refuse those shipments. We just we just said no. Your order's canceled. Um, there, that's great that you're here now, and we appreciate that. But honestly, there have been people that have stood in the rain to get some of our ground beef at wow. a farmer's market that have that have stuck with us through thick and thin, through drought. And you got to take care of those people. Of water first. through. And and we have a great loyalty to the to the people that you know helped build Sunrise Ranch. They paid they paid extra money to build a ranch through us vicariously. Yeah. Um, that f- sustains and feeds their family. I, I don't. I, those are not folks that I, I want to soon abandon. Well, and they're those are and the so, people that'll be there when the pandemic when everything goes back to normal. You know, because there's people that exactly are buying beef from you. When, yeah. When food supplies kind of came back when restaurants started opening and everybody decided they weren't a five-star chef in their own home and we're going to go back out <laughs> to eat. We saw a lot of folks who were sort of um, uh, fair-weather friends who just canceled their subscriptions as well. Hey, thanks for getting me through the tough times. Yeah. Um, you know, what we found is that we have a core base. Uh, and those folks have, like I said, been with us for a very long time. And we, we show a lot of loyalty for, the, for that. So... Um, don't ever discount the fact that you can you can make yourself resilient. You can make your own food system resilient. Yeah, sure, you, you might live in an urban city, but you might have relationships with ranchers who are you know regenerating soil or mm-hmm. uh, someone who's who's farming the land and and keep those relationships vibrant and real and invest in them. They're going to pay off uh, in the long run. I agree. Um, where can people find out more about your ranch and? What's let's give us your uh, website. I'm I'm on your website right now, but our our listeners can't obviously see that. And um, give us kind of a breakdown of what people can expect if they want to order um, some beef from you guys. Well, we've got a couple different uh, venues that we work through. The first is sunriseranch.com. That's sun spelled S-O-N dash rise R-I-S-E ranch.com. If you type sunrise ranch san diego into the google bar it'll be the first hit because we just we have a pretty significant presence in southern california 
that's an educational site. That's the who, what, when, where, why. Uh, and we, we don't try to sell you anything on that site. Sun-riseranch.com is just for folks who are seeking hunting and wanting to know, you know, what, how's this whole thing work? So there's everything from videos to blog articles on that. We've written thousands of pages of, of, of really good content onto that site. There's a link there that'll take you to our store. If you feel like you want to buy something, there's uh, that'll take you over to sunrise ranch store.com. And those are primarily that's monthly boxes and subscriptions and memberships. And so those are folks who just want basically a, a small monthly box to show up on their doorstep once a month. It's not a big investment, uh, but they want to source direct from a ranch. The other end of that is called local-beef.com, and that's linked through all the sites as well. And that's the whole that's the whole half and quarter cow mm-hmm. availability market. That's how we market our whole cows, half cows, and quarter cows. So those are bulk purchases, much lower price, um, but uh, um, uh, a bigger you know initial investment. So mm-hmm. that's for people that want to get a freezer, put it in their garage, and pack it full of meat. Um, that sort of a deal we realize that we do market to an urban community as well. So although we have ranches outside the urban community, we do market directly to San Diego, Orange County, LA. And you might find yourself in an apartment or a high rise and say, well, look, I want a whole cow anyways, but I don't have a freezer. So we offer cold storage. It's uh, you can buy a whole beef from us and actually put it into storage with us. And then we'll just deliver a box at a time over well, a year or two or three years that it takes you to eat it. Wow. And we have families that, that literally just buy cows and store them with us. So they'll buy a cow, process it. Um, we'll go through the whole processing procedure. They'll get it cut the way they want, steaks and the thickness they want, and you know ground beef as they want it, all the organs and that sort of a thing if they're into that. And it just goes into cold storage. And when it depletes down, they order another one. And so they just have this continual supply of direct ranch meat yeah. for them and their families. Well, that's my plan going forward. That, I think um, – we talked a couple of weeks ago. I, I put in an order. Um, I got my chest freezer, and that's kind of where I'm at because <clears throat> I eat so much beef. Um, it's twofold for me because that's the majority of my diet. Um, I smoke a lot of meat too. I have a big 80 gallon custom smoker. Um, so when people come to my house, there's either steaks on the cast iron or brisket or tri tip on the smoker. It's a done deal almost every time people come over here. Um, but going forward, that's kind of my mentality is I want to get it straight from a rancher that I know. Um, and just being able to talk with you has been awesome because I, I've never had beef from somebody that I've known before. You know, it's a rare thing to be able to. Um, well, it's not that rare if you look for it, but to start a relationship with a rancher and say, hey, you know, I want to support your business, but also get what you're putting out, which is a great product and. Um, you know, when the food shortage, if it does happen, I don't want to be, um, eating the MREs that I have stored in my garage for <laughs> emergency. Yeah, I'd rather exactly. have steak and ground beef and, uh, all the good stuff. So, um, yeah. And then people can come visit, right? We'll, we'll end with this. Can people come, um, yeah, so, come up there? How does that work? So the third, the third side is region ag, R E G E N ag bnb.com and that's our regenerative agriculture guest ranch and so that's in thermopolis uh wyoming uh part of the reason it's in my wyoming is number one there's huge resources in wyoming uh number two the laws are really set up for guest ranches there they're very guest ranch friendly uh so 
you, you know, the owner doesn't get sued if somebody trips on a rock. And that's got everything. <laughs> it's got horse rides. It's got cabins. It's got a cookhouse where we make uh, food uh, for the ranch uh, wow. participants that are staying. Um, people go there. They go out to the fields. They see how pasture chicken is raised. They see what pasture pork is like. They move cattle. Um, there's horse rides. Um, there's all kinds of activities. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting actually. And it's right on the backside of Yellowstone. So it ends up being wow. kind of a perfect stop if you're on a world tour sort of thing. I'm on the website right now, my computer looking at it and the cabins look awesome. I mean, the pictures. Yeah, there's little cabins and uh, homemade food and, and wow. just uh, really incredible. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of, uh, and, and that's, that's designed for anybody that's, uh, we call them the, you know, blues clues for the farm curious. Uh, so those are folks who are just like, I don't know, I just want to check out this regen thing, uh, all the way to people who have come out and, and, and actually, uh, done stayed for a week and they're, you know, perhaps retiring accountants that are like, Hey, uh, we're leaving the city and we, we're going to go live on a farm. And I don't know the first thing about fixing it. <laughs> Can you and give so us a we teach them, okay, well, this is, uh, you know, this is how you prevent getting killed by an animal. Uh, and this is, you know, what they should eat and how you should, and, and you can learn a lot in a week. Uh, it's not designed to make a regenerative ag farmer out of anybody, uh, but it'll get you going. Uh, it's also where our interns go. So when we have internships and we have uh, internships starting here, uh, they were all selected about a month and a half ago and they start just in three days. Uh, and, and I, I primarily do all the teaching for that. So, uh, there, there tends to be, um, you know, a small segment of, of young, energetic folks who uh, didn't fit the college mold and were never given any other opportunities. And it turns out that they would be excellent regenerative agriculture ranchers. And so they come out and they do an internship. That's awesome. Uh, that sometimes turns into an apprenticeship, which sometimes turns into a full-time job. Other times it doesn't. They just go out and they just kind of learn and maybe start their own ranch. So our objective, our plan there is to change agriculture for the better, wow. the future of agriculture. That's awesome. I love that. And I think, and, um, you know, our, our society pushes everyone to go to college and then you have people that are gifted at trades and it's like, you get a degree and then you fall back on what you're good at and we have a passionate for, and you didn't need a degree to do that. You know, I think that, that's a misconception in our culture is find something you love doing. And if you need a degree, go get it. If you don't, then do what you love. And I think that's an awesome yeah, opportunity for people that are like, I don't think I want to go to college or maybe you did. Exactly. And maybe you're like, um, I think, <laughs> I think I'm just going to go be a rancher. I have a friend I went to college with. She lives in Montana and, um, her family's a cattle rancher, but she got a degree in like science. And then was like, I don't think I want to do this. And then she went back home and she lives um, and works on a ranch out in Montana. Um, right. So it's one of those things is like, you know, I think people will find out what they're passionate about. But having an internship, having an avenue for people to, to explore that career is amazing. That's a cool thing. You don't hear about that very often, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we find our best – uh, candidates for the internship tend to be those that are uh, pulling shots at a Starbucks with $120,000 in college <laughs> debt for a psych degree that they're never going to use. And uh, they, they, uh, the worst candidates are, are tend to be those who grew up ranching because um, they're not a blank slate. 
and they carry a lot of baggage. And by that, we mean that if you, you know, are a third generation rancher and you bust in the front screen door one afternoon and say, Hey dad, we're going to start doing this regenerative ag thing. He's going to look at you and say, now sit down, Sonny. I don't think we're doing that. Yeah. And the, the, that's a double-edged sword. If you do, if you are in a, that position and you do decide you're going to change the way you do agriculture in your family with that family land, that's 150 years old. You're got the responsibility of your great grandfather on your shoulders. That's a lot um, of weight to bear. And you succeed. Uh, if you fail, you fail. But if you succeed, you've now said, Oh, and by the way, everything we've been doing is wrong. And so we just let great grandpa down. Whatever he taught us was incorrect pouring chemicals on the land and running the cows as hard as we can on corn. Yeah. That's all bad stuff. And so either way, you're in big trouble there. So that's why we find that the, the, the best kids uh, for these programs are those that are, you know, riding a skateboard and, and their, their wallet is attached with a chain. I mean, they just turn to be the come out and they just work as hard as they possibly can. And they, they're a blank slate. They suck it all in and they go, Hey, this, and they don't know any difference, right? They, yeah. they show up on a farm one day and go, no, this is how we do it. And they wouldn't know the first thing about the wrong way to do things. That's awesome. Wow. Well, um, thank you for your time. It's been awesome talking to you and I'm excited about, um, going forward and I'm excited about getting the meat. Um, and then just spreading the word because I've been telling people, um, I've been, you know, since I've embarked on this animal based diet and I want to tell everybody like, man, every, it's changed my life, you know, and, and I try not to be like a vegan, um, with the propaganda and the news, but I've read books and all that. So I'm so excited, um, on this journey I've kind of embarked on and I've been telling people and I'm like, dude, there's, I've been telling people about your ranch and I'm like, you gotta, you know, it's local. We can, um, you know, I've, I've even tried like splitting with people. I was like, dude, if you guys want to go halves on it, no one did. So I was like, I'll just buy it myself and for yeah. my family. Cause I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit around and wait for someone to go oh, I'll get the money or, or whatever the case is. Um, but I've been telling people like, dude, you can buy a whole cow and put it in a freezer and be good for like a year and feed your family off of that and not have to worry about Absolutely. going to the grocery store, the meat prices hiking up. Like, so I'm excited about making that switch to, um, buying straight from you guys. I'm, um, I'm really excited about that and having fresh meat and, you know, supporting local is always a thing that I've enjoyed when it comes to, um, beer, um, and <laughs> some other things, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to, um, have it in your backyard, you know, and support other families that are doing, um, some great things. And, uh, yeah, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. Um, but it's been great talking. Yeah, we're going to go out and fix some fence now. So, uh, All right. we'll be up in the, up on the side of a hill sliding down, trying to figure out how we're going to get fence posts pounded in. That's a, <laughs> that's a good thing. That's awesome. Um, well, we'll end it here. Um, I'm